Hello, and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by John Bennett, manager of the elite-rated Janice Henderson European Focus and European Opportunities Funds. Thank you for joining us today, John. Um, you've said before that you're excited when economies go into recessions because you get bargains. How excited are you in this scenario? And does the threat of depression temper that optimism? Yeah, well, you know, in some ways there's quite a lot of ironies, isn't there? Because um, some commentators, I think, have said ever since the, the, the great financial crisis of 08 that central bankers have spent their time and effort and printed money on trying to avoid recession, trying to make sure we don't go into one. And, and, and in a sense, we all knew the reasons for that because, because of the debt situation globally and, and, and the fear of debt deflation. So that was a narrative for a good part of a decade, let's avoid recession, one narrative. And along comes this. And yes, ordinarily, I would, I would say, great, you, you get a recession, you get bargains. You don't get bargains typically in, in, in very buoyant, bullish times. But of course, uh, at the risk of saying this time is different, this time it really is different in, in terms of this has, this is not a sort of waxing and waning of, of an, an economic cycle, if you like, which you would, you know, you would get a, a normal recession um, as a result of the, the natural ebb and flow of how ec- economies and how the cycle tends to develop. Of course, we didn't have that for 10 years, as I said. Um, so we're all on the lookout. I was on the lookout for a normal recession. This is not normal, of course. What we've got is an induced coma for the economy, uh, an economy plunged into deep freeze globally, a control alt delete, call it what you will, you know, sleep mode, call it what you will. But but you know, we haven't experienced this before. So it is of course no ordinary recession. And I think whether you're a fund manager or any other walk of life running a business, you're trying to gauge how this looks coming out the other side of it, but also the, the duration of it. This We call it a, a huge gorge or a huge valley, how deep and how wide it is. That is actually every conversation we have with companies right now, CEOs, CFOs, that's exactly the narrative. That's, so many of them say to us, your guess is as good as mine as to how it looks uh, coming out the other side. And here we are at the, this very moment where governments around the world are trying to ease the lockdown and get us out of this. They are discovering, they probably knew it, but they are, if they didn't, they know it now. Getting the world economy, in, pushing it into lockdown, pushing it into this induced deep freeze, hell of a lot easier than bringing it out. And that's exactly where we are just now. So no, it's not something that excites me um, for that reason. Uh, it's so unusual and it's, of course, very deep in terms of the GDP collapses that we're seeing and the, 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 the rocketing of unemployment that comes with that. So it's not usual, obviously. The second reason I can't say that I'm excited is look at the rally we've had. Now, I, I was, I wouldn't say excited, but in March, we did deploy some cash, especially in our investment trust, which is able to borrow. And we actually utilised that borrowing facility to 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 invest a bit uh, and, and take advantage of some collapsing share prices. But actually, look at the severity of the rally, aided and abetted by, you might say, the new sugar rush of yet more QE printed money. You know, the sky's the limit in terms of you look at the taps that have been turned on by central banks. So, so the extent of the rally 
especially in the more favoured parts of the market. And here I'm actually looking not just at Europe, but look at the NASDAQ. The former, you know, the, the darlings of the last decade, they've, they've just been turbocharged again in this rally, many of them going to new absolute highs and certainly relative highs. You know, global growth is absolutely panning at, at value. So um, the market has moved very, very quickly. I, I do think aided and abetted by yet more uh, manufactured printed money and, and government and central bank largesse together. That rally means that it's, I, I can't sit here and say, wow, we've got a, yes, we've got the recession. My goodness, we've got a deep recession right now. Um, but I can't sit here and say we've got wonderful bargains. No. You mentioned that rally then. Um, could you maybe talk us through any potential changes you have made or sort of any portfolio movements you made following the sell-off? Have you been adding names? Have you been topping up names? What's the general consensus in, within your portfolios then? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there was um, there was really if you look at the period of mid March, so seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth of March, that was the eye of the storm uh, for, for for European equities or equities in general, financial markets actually debt as well. Um, and again, the only thing we did there was tactically the use of our investment trust steering. We we, we decided to uh, add to existing names and in our other funds um, where we did have some cash, we put to work but very modest amounts of cash because we only held modest amounts of cash as we always do in our, 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 our long-only funds. We we actually just were prorating among some of the, the existing names uh, that were getting particularly hit and that tended to be our industrials uh, uh, and more cyclical uh, industrial names. Um, so that was a sort of mini uh, period of action for us. Uh, at that time, no new names, no disposals. The only thing we've done since, actually, is we have reduced uh, our exposure uh, to uh, the aerospace sector. So we um, had held uh, Airbus and Safran, and in our focus funds, we own neither now. Uh, in, our, in our bigger, more diversified funds, we still own a bit of Safran, but we have sold out of Airbus. And that reflects our belief that that is an industry that will take longer to come out of this. Um, I think some industries will come out seriously impaired. Um, now, I'm not really talking about Airbus necessarily here, but, but more, we can come on to it, but more at the retail, hospitality, leisure side, seriously impaired. You're already seeing companies uh, go under. They're not going to make it. Many companies are, are, are not going to make it. They're not going to come out of this at all. And you're already seeing that with, with bankruptcies and, you know, coffee chains, fast food chains, retail, apparel retail, for example, they were already very weakened business models in my case, in, in my opinion, for many of them going into that, 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 that in my view, makes it, makes sure they're not coming out of it. Or if they are in a much shrunken uh, state, aerospace is not there. And aerospace is, of course, strategically important to governments and to economies, etc. So I'm not certainly, I would never put it in that category. But I do think it'll take longer for it to uh, to come out, and you may see quite a lot of job losses as well in, in, in parts of that of that industry. The other reason to take our leave of Airbus was we wanted to make room for one new purchase, and we've only made one new purchase since this whole situation began. And that is a company we've long admired uh, its business model. We've long admired the management. 
Uh, it's a Danish listed company called DSV and in basically uh, logistics. Um, so people think of it as freight forwarding. It's much more than that. It's, it's all about software, logistics, uh, managing freight uh, globally. As, as we, as governments, all of us try to get economies up on their feet, I don't think it's about retailers recovering necessarily, but it is about getting uh, uh, supply chains up and running. That's where we are right now. So I think that company, in other words, I think that company turns on its business much more quickly than certain other businesses can be turned on. Much more importantly that, than that, that we, um, we, we, we've long admired it, as I was saying, but we felt the valuation was always a bit too rich for us. Goodness knows I've said that far too many times and, and many a growth stock's gone on to yet higher multiples. But this, this uh, collapse in equities, the situation that we have, it provided an opportunity for us to bring something into the portfolios, again, that we've long admired at a price that suits us because um, we always thought, felt it was a bit rich. I just wanted to swing back slightly to the, um, the sectors you feel particularly suffer. We, we talked about hospitality, travel and leisure. Um, do you think it'll just take a lot longer for those companies to recover? And also, are you expecting a lot of consolidation in the market? So, so will maybe perhaps the market leaders in those areas actually come out looking better than they, they did looking, coming in over the long term? Yeah, and you know, this is it's interesting. I'm, I, I think you're probably at loads of fund managers saying this. The strong will get stronger uh, as a result of this. And, and I find it quite interesting that, that that is particularly applied, it seems to me, by commentators, but also fund managers who, who, who like certain stocks, certain parts of the market. It seems to be applied writ large to tech, i.e. the winning sector of the last decade mm-hmm. or more. And it's, it's actually bounced the best that I talked. I referenced the NASDAQ earlier. So disruptors, tech, is seen to be a great winner. Here are we on a, uh, a virtual meeting, a video uh, meeting, and so people get excited about the providers of this kind of thing. People get uh, excited about uh, the Microsofts of the world, the Googles of the world. In other words, the, the digital disruption. Somebody said recently, two years of digital disruption has been compressed into two months, these two months. Fine, absolutely understand that. But I think that's reflected in the valuations of said names. So the winners, I agree, the winners who were already winning, the trends that were already in, 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 in train, accelerate. Absolutely agree with that. Problem I have is paying the multiples for those very easily identified uh, winners. There are other winners. There are winners in the industrial sphere, um, companies that dominate their niches. And people go on about quality growth, quality growth, quality growth. I think we should be talking also about quality value, some of the industrial names that we have here in Europe. Um, and, and some of those names, they absolutely they have a number of characteristics, one of which is great balance sheets, great liquidity, great management, and they absolutely dominate their markets. So there might not be tech, and big techs dominate their markets, but, but, but these also dominate their markets. And that's actually something that, that, that did excite us over, over the last couple of months as these names were available. I mean, look at DS, the one DSV I've mentioned. It's not actually an industrial manufacturing business, but in a sense it's an industrial chain uh, or the goods chain. 
traded goods. In terms of the losers, I I I I, I pick, pick your fast food chain. You know, here in the UK or elsewhere, but pick your fast food chain and, and uh, without naming them, some of them are already gone under. You know, burger chains, coffee chains, whatever they've gone under. You know, some of them were backed by private equity, over levered. They went into this in in, in an oversupplied sector, sectors with overcapacity. And you you asked about you know capacity coming out of certain areas. Um, that's capacity coming out of those areas. And, and, and it's been accelerated by this uh, crisis that we have, this pandemic that we have, but also by the leverage in some of those balance sheets. Um, you'll find it in retail. It's happening as well. Here's one of my concerns about, now, and what I'm saying is capacity should be coming, should have come out of those industries and should be coming out and is now coming out. Just apply a bit of a, a bit of caution on that. If you take apparel retail, which I think is massively oversupplied um, and hasn't been, it's been a bit of a desert uh, for most investors in that sector for a long, long time, apparel retail. There are some shining exceptions to that, Next in the UK, Primark, uh, whatever, but they are the exceptions. The problem with that sector is the minute you think capacity is coming out, certainly the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, New capacities, a new shop, if you want to put it that way, has just sprouted up. New chains have sprouted up. So I, I, I just hesitate a bit to say capacity is coming out from a, of the high street where it should is coming out forever. That industry, for example, just has a habit of sprouting them up again. I think that'll be less easy. I do think that'll be less easy. I do think one of the things that is absolutely here, of course, here to stay and now accelerate is is, is e-commerce, is online shopping. So maybe it will be less easy for new physical uh, apparel retail just to sprout up in, in, in hitherto empty shopping arcades, whatever. I don't see physical retail malls coming back in the way that they were. They're going to have to find other tenants, other uses. I don't find many of the apparel, general merchandise, department store retailers, they weren't fit for purpose anyway, in many cases, are fit for the future. I don't see them coming back, and I certainly don't see them coming back to the profit of shareholders, many of them. Um, and there will be other industries, leisure, hospitality. Sadly, as an ale drinker, I think you're going to see, uh, I think you're going to see certain uh, dear old British pubs not make it back. Um, so capacity will come out, but just beware. Certain industries have a have a nasty habit of of filling the gap. And. Just lastly, um, obviously, European stocks were, were lagging behind the US since the, the global financial crisis of 2008. They've faced a number of challenges, the likes of the sovereign debt crisis since then. Do you feel this is an opportunity to tap into what was sort of an already unloved part of the world? Will, will it sort of, on the recovery side, will, will that be the opportunity? Yeah, I th- I've always been sort of fairly straight about the European, you know, European equities versus the world, the asset allocation question. Um, first of all, it's always a bit disingenuous of a fund manager, um, in my view, uh, or self-serving, uh, who you know may have a speciality in tech or may have a speciality in Asian equities, may have, in my case, a speciality in European equities. It's a wee bit self-serving to say, come on in, the water's warm, my asset class is looking fab. <clears throat> I've always been a bit different in that respect. Um, maybe it's because I do Europe and uh, it, it really looks, you know, nice tepid water, no sharks, uh, come on in. 
um, it's always a bit more tarnished, my asset class. And so uh, I've never been a bit of a tub thumper for the asset class. What I would say is this. Um, European equities, uh, if, you, if I were an asset allocator, European equities, a wee bit like Japanese equities, especially if you're going to buy the indices. And this is the key bit. If you're going to uh, judge European equities by the index, and they are not the index. This is, you know, the, we've got 40 odd stocks. That's what we own. The, the stock 600 is 600 stocks. I own less than 10% of what's available to me. Um, so, first of all, please don't define European equities by the index. That index, if you were going to buy the European index in the belief that that European index was going to outperform other indices in the world, especially US indices, I think you would need one thing, and I wouldn't do it, but I think you would need one thing, but I wouldn't do it yet. You need inflation, because the European index is, rather like the Japanese index, is more of a value construct than is the US, even the S&P, not, not just certainly NASDAQ, but even the S&P. So we have less growth stocks, fact, in those indices. We've got more of what I would call stranded value, banks, big oil, telcos, um, and, and certain other areas of the market. That, to me, is and will remain stranded value. So what I'm really saying is, is if you're going to approach European equities, um, I wouldn't do so by buying the index. Um, if you are going to buy that index in the hope that it's going to outperform, say, US equities, then I think you need to hope for inflation. Now, by the way, medium term, it may well be that we will get inflation as a result of what, as a result of what's going on right now, and that's another debate to be had. And it is a debate; it's not a certainty, but it's certainly something that we and many others are asking ourselves: Do we get inflation further down the road? And I think there's a decent chance of that. Medium, that medium to long case. term, or yeah, yeah, medium to long term. I mean, I don't think it's a 2020 issue. In fact, this is a deflationary shock that we're going through. I don't think it's a 2021 issue. But something where it's – if you look at where the world is dammed up in assets, in asset allocation, the world is dammed up, parked in disinflationary beneficiaries and has been for a long time and has been right to be so, i.e. bonds and bond-like equities and growth stocks. So you can expand your multiple in a low inflation, disinflationary, and certainly deflationary environment, I've always said to clients, um, look, what price Nestle, for example? What price Nestle? Uh, if we get deflation, Nestle could go to a one yield. Nestle could go to 50 times earnings. I mean, I'm not forecasting that. I'm just saying these are the kind of things that can happen. You get a nifty 50. You've actually got it in, in, in tech in the US, in my, in my view. But you get a nifty 50 in a low inflation to no inflation to de-inflation environment, the environment that we're in right now, the world would change, would turn 180 degrees, it would spin on its head if we got inflation. And I'm saying if, and because I'm such a neurotic uh, individual and, and a neurotic fund manager, and I believe fund managers should be neurotic, um, I always, I'm always on the lookout for the thing that might not that, that people are not perhaps um, pricing in or people are not expecting. And certainly that's inflation. I'm not forecasting inflation, but we are open-minded to it. That would be good night growth stocks, hello value. 
Um, and it would be it would not be good night growth stocks have low value in the same way that we've seen for 12 years, which is, uh, as some people love to say, stay in growth, holiday in value. Um, i.e. you get a one-month, two-month, three-month straw fire where you get value flaring up, outperforming, and these days it's been one week and two weeks. I mean, yesterday you had a value momentum uh, uh, mean reversion day, but it's a day, um, and normal business is resumed, and it goes back to growth stocks and tech, big tech, the NASDAQ just pounding away. That probably continues if you don't get inflation um, so what I, I think that what we are doing, and I think what investors should do, is, is and I, th- I think, is stay away from the mightily priced, perceived darlings and winners. And you can actually be in Europe. You can be in Europe and be in quality value. That does not mean banks. It doesn't mean telco. It doesn't mean big oil. It doesn't mean washed up industrials you know, um, that don't have a great future. It doesn't mean autos necessarily. The, 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 the sort of poster child sectors of value. You can own quality value. John, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Thank you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Janice Henderson European Focus and European Opportunities Funds, please visit fundcaliber.com. And while you're there, remember to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please note that these are unprecedented times and markets can react very quickly to news. The views expressed are at the time of recording and could change. And remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or to sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at your time of listening.